Alright, everybody, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 93 here on a fantabulous Sunday morning or evening or afternoon or night. Maybe you're not tuning in on Sunday either, but this is a very weekend-specific podcast with our friend Stripe Hype Cincy. We recorded this on Saturday in the middle of the college football afternoon, so we laughed at that a bit, and we got set for the NFL Sunday a little bit, which might be done by the time you're listening to this, but even still, I would like to uh, dabble into the NFL talk before our, of course, usual NFL Monday and Memes of the Weekend pod that will drop on Monday. So we will get to that conversation in a quick second, but first, we do have an A block here today, and I wanted to continue the conversation we had with Morgan from Australia about Aaron Rodgers. Yay, Aaron Rodgers. And that means we can play this fantabulous sound of our Packers Last Dance theme song. is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams is not good as far as this weekend as far as training camp we will see there's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers camp and and that's I don't want to be here any chance we can get to play that song I want to do it because I spent like an hour and a half making it and so any chance we can let's play it so the Packers were supposed to play the game of the weekend against the Chiefs Obviously, that is uh, not a thing anymore because Aaron Rodgers is out now and the Chiefs are seven and a half point favorites in Vegas. Also, not only just being seven and a half point favorites, they also have the Packers or uh, heavy money on the Packers. So Vegas, the house is betting on the Chiefs not just to win, but to cover, which I guess means it would be a double digit victory. I imagine no matter what, we'll talk about the game on NFL Monday. What I wanted to talk about here was Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers gave us the rare clarification that we're looking for on Aaron Rodgers Fridays, I guess, with the McAfee show. And when the headline grabber came out that it said, Aaron Rodgers gets medical advice from Joe Rogan, in an instant my mind clicked and I was like, ah, I understand everything now. This makes perfect sense. And then I started thinking about it deeper and started formalizing actual thoughts about it and realized, well, I'm stereotyping on this one, and it's probably not the truth when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, because Aaron Rodgers is more complex than that, and I'm not going to pretend that I understand Aaron Rodgers' complexities. I just wish I could be in Aaron Rodgers' inner circle, because I would really, really, really want to know what Aaron Rodgers thinks likes, acts, 
Like, I would just want to know things about Aaron Rodgers more because this guy from the surface really fascinates me just as from like a social science experiment or like a sociology experiment or, a you know, a, a psychology experiment. Like, it's super fascinating what Aaron Rodgers says and does in a position of power that only like five people in sports have. And Aaron Rodgers is using that in such an interesting way as he, you know, reveals a little more about himself other than just being the State Farm spokesperson that makes him a lot of money and uses his fame very strategically. Obviously, with his wedding, wanting to be a Jeopardy host, which I think is probably out the door at this point, I would say, is that Aaron Rodgers is probably not going to be Jeopardy host from this point forward. Maybe Joe Rogan will be Jeopardy host. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? That, I think that's what we should start petitioning for, is for Joe Rogan to be the host of Jeopardy to replace, I forgot what his name is now, but Jeopardy's run out of people to fill that void now, and we kind of just stopped caring about them. Anyways, uh, I just thought about that off the front end. What I find interesting about Aaron Rodgers is that he's the free thinker guy, and he's talked openly about how he is trying to find a new level of spirituality, and it doesn't really, well, we know he didn't talk to his parents before, and that was, I guess, one of the earlier rested developments. Developments. And then we find out he's really into traveling to, to learn other religions. And he, you know, takes a little bit from Christianity and Islam and Buddhism. And, you know, he's going to meet the Dalai Lama and do the rich people things that are cool to post on Instagram. But also, it seems like he's applying that idea of playing quarterback and the, the singular minded focus that's required to get to that point where you can become this great player and then apply that over to you know the rest of his life and things like belief systems and whatever else Aaron Rodgers is going to go for at this point and I was listening to um I was listening to the audiobook on Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in the Patriot Way by Seth Wickersham and one of the things that they brought up in this because the stories between Brady and Rodgers have so much similarities in terms of the career arcs and the levels of success that they've achieved in being maybe the best quarterbacks in their generation. I know that was another conversation that was being had because Cam Jordan did that interview. And if you don't know what it is, he talked about how Tom Brady was not the GOAT because he's not the greatest athlete to ever play football. And I think Tom Brady readily admits that. Tom Brady's the greatest winner in the sport, but definitely not the greatest ever. And in fact, until Patrick Mahomes, I think most people argued Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback to ever pick up a football. And Aaron also openly talked about how he's proud of changing the game. The idea where offenses are spread out and it's all about short, accurate passes and being able to complete 70% of your passes, but averaging fewer yards and limiting turnovers. Everyone does that now, but that wasn't a thing 10 15 years ago you didn't have a sport where you couldn't th where Jameis Winston is throwing 30 interceptions or Carson Wentz is throwing 18 interceptions and now they're just useless where Jameis Winston throws the most yards and the most touchdowns in the league but also has the most interceptions and all the math has changed where Jameis Winston the difference between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers being 7 and 9 or 9 and 7 or whatever it was and winning a Super Bowl is Tom Brady versus Jameis Winston. That basically, it's simplest math is that that is the evolution of the sport. But Jameis Winston was the number one pick not that long ago for that skill set. And you can go back down the list of quarterbacks drafted number one. Even Eli Manning had some of it in him. 
even Philip Rivers had some of it in him. The the deep tight ball, even Peyton Manning had a lot of it in him. Where Peyton Manning threw like nine touchdowns and seventeen interceptions his last year in the league. That quarterback model doesn't exist anymore because turnovers are just so costly. And people will point the other way of Patrick Mahomes throws a lot of interceptions. This is a changing scale. You see why the Kansas City Chiefs, despite all that talent, are still four and four because turnovers hurt you. And Rodgers is open about how he's changed the game that way. What's interesting on the other end is this is uh, one of the things that was in Wickersham's book is every athlete needs a religion or some sort of a higher power. And for Tom Brady, he set that goal, that infinite goal that he tried to hit was play till age 45. He set it when he was 36. I think it was 2013 when Wickersham talked to Tom Brady at his house in Boston. And this was uh, coming off of the loss to the Giants in the second loss to the Giants in the Super Bowl. So 2013, they had just played Super Bowl 46 and they'd gone like a decade without winning a championship. And and Tom Brady talked about playing until he was 45. And Tom Brady had Alex Guerrero being the person who believed in him all the way through. When he says, I want to play until 45, Guerrero said, I can help you do that. Let's do it. He, he, didn't, he didn't see Tom Brady as crazy where everyone laughed it off. And Giselle wanted him to even retire at 42. Like everyone thought it was crazy he would play till 45. Even the Patriots thought it was crazy that he would play until 45. They wouldn't give him a contract until he was 45. The Patriots didn't believe it. No one in the media believed it, especially when he was benched for Jimmy Garoppolo that one time. Nobody believed it. And Alex Guerrero was the person who put unconditional faith in him, and Tom rewarded the loyalty throughout his career. As they, he says, Alejandro, as he calls him, is his best friend. Because that's, that's the person who believed in Tom. That's the person who said, we can change the way people think of football. What if football didn't have to have pain? And Tom Brady's higher religion was fo- transforming the idea of football. And I don't know what Aaron Rodgers' belief system is. He doesn't have the connection to his family. Aaron Rodgers is not a particularly religious person. He talks about he doesn't believe in the political aspects of it because he doesn't want to be taken for one side or the other. And it seems like from the outside, Aaron Rodgers has taken counterculture as his belief system. But also, I don't know enough about Aaron Rodgers to know what Aaron Rodgers believes, what Aaron Rodgers wants. And I'm sure if I went back through all the interviews he does with Pat McAfee and all the interviews he does with Dan Lebitard, like I could find something in there that talks about what Aaron Rodgers really wants. The, the information is there. And maybe with more time and not watching all of season two of Ted Lasso, which by the way, wow, absolutely fantastic. Instead of, you know, choosing to do that instead of research, maybe it could have been a more formative, articulate podcast here. But I just find so interesting that Aaron Rodgers' desire to be counterculture, because we talked about this on, I think, Friday's or Thursday's podcast when we were talking about Aaron Rodgers, where Aaron Rodgers' political leanings seem to just be libertarian. That seems to be like true libertarian ideology. Not just like, oh, he's not Republican or Democrat, he's libertarian. It's like, no, he, he seems like legitimately libertarian when you put all of his beliefs together, which is kind of where Joe Rogan kind of resides, where he's like, I support Bernie Sanders, but if Bernie's not going to win, I'm going to support Donald Trump, and I'm going to be the, I'm going to be left-wing guy and left-wing politics, but also UFC guy, which is 
irrefutably connected to QAnon and Trump and all of that dirty stuff around that sport that makes me not like it at all and have moral objections other than just not paying your fighters enough and the general idea of not having CTE data and people beating themselves up and watching a fight and being like, yeah, there's a blood stain from the fight before. All of that to say... Aaron Rodgers seems to be counterculture where he's taken little bits and pieces from different places. He made clear in the interview outside of the Joe Rogan part, which I loved Pat McAfee trying to like contain his smirk when he heard the Joe Rogan stuff. He made pretty clear in there that he is not one of the freedom fighter anti-vaxxers um, like Kyrie Irving, basically. I think he said like flat earther anti-vaxxers. Like he specifically tried to distinguish himself from Kyrie Irving, talked about how he is allergic to one of the ingredients in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine, which I don't know. I'm going to take his word at face value, even though we know him to be a liar at this point, because in terms of trusting Aaron Rodgers, I think we're at an all-time low on that because we just caught him in the big fat lie of telling us he was immunized but not vaccinated. And I think that I think that the people who want to argue whatever side of that one that you believe, I think it comes down to do you want to give Aaron Rodgers the benefit of the doubt, which I feel is unearned at this point. Therefore, I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But even still, like, let's say that Aaron Rodgers is allergic to one of the ingredients and like truly allergic where this is like a medical thing and not just I don't want to put things in my body because I'm an athlete and I know everything that goes into my body and I'm very meticulous about it which is a very important point around this is that athletes are really really meticulous about what goes into their body whether it's grounded in paranoia that's another conversation but let's just take that for face value at this point and say other than just Aaron Rodgers is skeptical of one of the ingredients of putting that into his body. Let's say there's a medical allergy around it. The Johnson and Johnson one he cited because of the blood clots, which is not a good excuse because the blood clots were about six. And if you followed that story back in, I believe it was June or July, when they paused the Johnson & Johnson one, it wasn't that they paused it because it was medically unsafe. It was because of the public backlash to the idea of blood clotting in a few of the Johnson & Johnson vaccines. And that, in that case, it's just it was people who were looking for any reason. Like the it's the the similar to the voter fraud thing that happened uh, in uh, Maricopa County in Arizona and in Georgia and in Florida and other Republican states, but primarily those two, Georgia and uh, Phoenix, Maricopa, which is Phoenix, um, where they ran basically audits twice and then had uh, non or uh, sorry partisan audits with people who were hired specifically with anti uh, or, or pro-Trump uh, fear of voter suppression people counting it counting ballots to try and find any evidence of voter fraud because you were just looking for any reason. Any singular reason could be used as propaganda. And that's what the Johnson & Johnson blood clotting situation turned into. Uh, according to August 4th data from the New York Times that there were 28 confirmed cases of blood clotting. This is a story from May that was updated on August 4th. Um, there are 28 total cases of blood clotting. And this is one of those cases where people 
C28 and then it seems like a big deal and then you think of it in the context of 28 million doses, uh, which is actually no more than that now that I think about it. 28 million would be not enough on a global scale. So when you talk about the small percentage chance like that and people wanting to protect themselves, it's understandable because the emotions are valid, but it's not grounded in science. So Aaron Rodgers' fears are not grounded in science, which is the baseline of the entire anti-vax conversation. Your fears are not grounded in science, they are grounded in emotion, and at a certain point, emotions will supersede science if that's what you so choose. And so Aaron Rodgers, in that way, gives the anti-vax argument while trying to distance himself from being a freedom fighter or any kind of political lining. And this is where Aaron Rodgers' fear of a woke mob that doesn't exist and Count, uh, cancel culture, which doesn't exist in the context that he's discussing it. All of that is to say Aaron Rodgers is chasing the boogeyman in the same way Joe Rogan is chasing the boogeyman, except Joe Rogan has turned it into a podcast that is hugely successful for himself, playing on the these ideas of fears and conspiratorial theories that get people excited. And when you have that level of trust within an audience, as a lot of propagandists are figuring out, Anything you say can be interpreted in whatever way people want it to. So all of that to say, I don't know Aaron Rodgers well enough to make any definitive conclusions, but I find all of this super, super fascinating. And Aaron Rodgers pulling out the anti-vax card while separate, well, no pun intended on that one. I get the vax card, anti-vax card. No pun intended on that. Pulling out the anti-vax argument while trying to separate himself from the Kyrie Irvings and the freedom fighters of the world while also being the person who did, who wanted to have his cake and eat it because he didn't want to get vaccinated but also didn't want to follow the COVID procedures. All of it to say... Aaron Rodgers is trying to dig himself out of a hole. He's going to be Aaron Rodgers. He's going to do Aaron Rodgers things. And nobody's going to stop him at this point in his career because he has all the leverage. And that makes the situation even more fascinating that we even get to hear from Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show this week. Because I was like stunned. I was like, wait, Aaron's still going to do the interview? Like that dude, there's no way an organization would do it. But the Packers are so petrified. They're catering to everything Aaron wants, it would appear at this point. And boy, if you're the Packers, at what point have you just had enough? And that is a really difficult question because you will never find a talent as good as Aaron Rodgers for the next 50 years. And that is a really, really interesting question of they're like, how do we patch all of this up? And this is the irresponsible part of all of it, too, I should mention. Like, it's so irresponsible of Aaron Rodgers to do that because people are going to get hurt. Not specifically COVID related, but people within the Packers organization are going to get hurt by these antics. Because if you force people to just keep patch it up, patch it up, patch it up when they know it's wrong. The Packers know that this is wrong. And... When you're forcing people to just ignore, 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 ignore because they're trying to cater to you just because you can, that's just a what I can go to as saying is a dick move. That's the best I can say around that. It's just a dick move. When everyone knows that this is not normal, everyone feels uncomfortable around this, everyone knows that what you're doing is idiotic and now you've created this whole stir within the organization. I can't even imagine what's going on with the Packers organization right now. Not even the players, just staff around that, people within the front offices, people who just work within the building. 
maybe even some of his teammates who he's not that close with, but he also is apparently an intimidating presence within the locker room if nobody's there to call him out on shit, then, man, that is a really uncomfortable situation. And that just makes you a dick. But at the same time, as I talked about Seth Wickersham's book, Bill Belichick is a dick. It worked out, but there are costs associated with it. And that makes Aaron Rodgers a dick, and it makes people within the Packers organization really, really uncomfortable. I can tell because you know it's not right. But sometimes these are the costs that are associated with it. If the Packers want to cater to Aaron Rodgers, even going over lines that seem pretty morally objectionable and make them seem like a poorly run organization because they probably are so be it I'm sure a lot of teams if they could get Aaron Rodgers would cater to that the Buccaneers did it for Tom Brady not in the same ways as Aaron Rodgers but they're catering in ways other the the Patriots wouldn't to Tom Brady the Packers are not in a place where they're willing to put their foot down on any of this stuff maybe that's an entitlement level maybe it's a standing on principle in a league that has no principles Who knows? But the Packers know this isn't right. They know it's not right. And maybe they'll put their foot down. Maybe they won't. We'll see what ends up happening down the road. I just find the whole Rodgers situation so damn fascinating. So with that being said, let's roll along with uh, talking about the Purdue game. Because Purdue did it again. Let's laugh about that with our boy Stripe Hype. Let's see... I'm muted. My fault. <laughs> What's okay. going on? What's going on? That's a beautiful way to start. I'm leaving all of this in right now. Hello. <laughs> How you doing? What's going on? It's been a, uh, been a good I'm day. I'm doing good. I'm doing good today. Hope you're hope you're doing all right from work. Yes, the rare stripe pipe Saturday. It actually rings it sounds a little bit better uh, off the top of the tongue. But what about stripe yeah, pipe I'm, Sunday? I'm doing good. Because people won't hear this till Sunday. So how about the Stripe Hype Sunday? That works too. I'm cool with either one. The either S, one works is it just the S I'm just going to be able to get this off. I think so. I, I think it's just the S, you know, it kind of has like the, the Stripe, you know, and then the Sunday. It just makes, it just sounds good in my head, you know. But yeah, either way, this is being recorded on Saturday. It's a Sunday either way. Uh, yeah, no, it's good. And I'm excited. I've been trying to keep up with a little bit of college football today, but I usually do most of my scouting when I get home after this. Uh, but yeah, now I'm doing really good. Uh, today was such a brutal day at the beginning because I lost my, my beloved wake forest demon deacons are no longer perfect at this point, which, which hurts my soul a little bit because they were the last team from the ACC that had a chance. We're still holding out hope for the, uh, the, the UTSA Roadrunners to make the college football playoffs still. But I was uh, I lost that early in the day. Minnesota lost, so row the boat is done now. It was a rough day, but the power of the Purdue game is reviving me right now because Purdue's going to beat Michigan State, which is just unbelievable that uh, Purdue already... Do you know the stat about the Purdue game and Purdue against top three opponents? I, I want to say they have one of the best records against top 10 opponents uh, in NCAA football history. Yep. Which in, is the like, last, in the last 40 years, nobody has won more games against top three opponents while being unranked than Purdue. They've already beat Iowa at number two this year, and they're about to beat Michigan State at number three this year. And the Purdue game never fails. Never. 
I, <laughs> I didn't know until like Wednesday that Michigan state was playing Purdue. I'm like, it can't possibly happen twice. Can it can't possibly <laughs> happen where the big 10 just gets derailed by Purdue and Illinois again. I'm like, it can't happen. Can it, it can't. And it's happening. See, we need Purdue in the SEC. This, this is why Purdue needs to be in the SEC, just for this. We're going to get Alabama and Georgia to go play Purdue and lose once every year, so it gives everyone else in the conference a chance to win. That's what we need. We just need a Purdue Boilermakers in the SEC. That's all I ask for. But, yeah, I, I've been keeping up with that game quite a bit, and what a game that's been. Uh, you know, really, Michigan State came off a huge win the, the week before, of course, against Michigan. Uh, that really helped them shoot up in the rankings now, but it's – of course, they're down seven currently at halftime against Purdue, 21-14, as of, I guess, the time of recording this. But yet again, Kenneth Walker is still insane. I think he already has over 100 uh, rushing yards and a touchdown. I mean, I think he's the clear Heisman favorite right now in college football as a running back, which I think is outstanding and really cool to see uh, how well he's been playing uh, so far for the Spartans. So can I update you on what's happened since halftime? Because that was a little bit ago that they were at halftime. So oh. Michigan State tied the game at 21 and Purdue has now scored 13 unanswered points and they've just started the fourth quarter. So Purdue's up 34, gotcha. 21 right now, which is just perfect. They Michigan state made the comeback and then Purdue has now again, stormed ahead to take the lead, which is absolutely perfect. And if you had to guess Peyton Thorne's stat line, it is exactly what you would have guessed Peyton Thorne's stat line would be, which is 11 for 19 for 142 yards and one touchdown, which is exactly what every Michigan State quarterback has thrown for 13 consecutive seasons. Is 11 for 19 for 142 yards. Never fails. <laughs> it's always the same uh, with Michigan State. I mean, they're, they're always a run-dominant team, so it does make sense. But I also got a chance to catch a little bit of the Pittsburgh-Duke game as well. And, man, Kenny Pickett uh, yet again looks insane. I think he had like over 400 yards passing and a couple of touchdowns today. Uh, he's another guy that I think is right up there in the Heisman favorite right now. And he might be – there's a couple of quarterbacks in this class that are fighting for the top spot right now. I think Matt Corral's one. I think Malik Willis from Liberty's one. They actually played each other today. Uh, Liberty versus Ole Miss, but I really like Sam Howell from North Carolina still. But Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh, the guy is really kind of having his name shot up the boards with how he's been playing lately. He had another really good game today with, uh, like I said, 400 yards passing. I think it was three touchdowns. Uh, he looked really good. I'm doing. A, I'm really listening to a lot of this based off game cast, so I really can't say how great I think they were because I'm just looking at it up on ESPN. Yeah, like, box score Blake right now. So far. This is this is box score Blake. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a little different from uh, the, the scouting side of me. But, yeah, no, but what I've seen so far for Kenny Pickett, he's had a great game. And, of course, Kenneth Walker's doing really well, too. Those are the two funnest players right now in college football, at least in my eyes. I have to go catch those guys and get the chance to see him, as well as Matt Corral and Malik Willis. I'm for sure watching that game when I get home. Uh, and, of course, you got Kentucky-Tennessee coming on here in about 30 minutes as well, so that's going to be exciting to watch. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, another fun day of college sports. I wish we had a couple better games. I can't wait for next week. That's going to be a very, very fun week when we see a couple other fun games. But, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of what I've seen so far hasn't necessarily been surprising. But when you've seen some pretty bad teams keep some other closer teams around. Ohio State had some trouble today. We saw Cincinnati and Tulsa kind of keep it close for a while. Um, you know, it's, it's not over yet. Like Tulsa's, Tulsa's down 10 and they're going in to try and cut it to three. So it's technically not over. We think Cincinnati's going to win, but it's not technically over yet. <laughs> 
yeah, I, I guess there's still a game. Uh, yeah, there's still there's still plenty of time yeah, left. Yeah, you uh, know, for, for Cincinnati's got like an eighty five percent chance of winning, but it's not quite over yet. Not quite down yet, because of course Cincinnati's letting everyone hang around with them now in the AAC. We're also seeing TCU currently beating Baylor twenty three to twenty one, which is another pretty fun game that I've been trying to keep an eye on a little bit. Oh, uh, yes. and, and then of course. Arkansas over Mississippi State right now, sixteen to fourteen. So a couple of a couple of top twenty-five teams are having a little bit of trouble today. Uh, we also need to re- well, actually, I have three things here. First, one: Do you know how many rushing yards North Carolina had against Wake Forest today? As a team, uh, man, they how many points did they score? Is like 56, 57? Some, I think it was 58, 58, 55. They beat Wake Forest, right. which is technically a top 10 upset. But I love that you said there weren't any surprising results because we just assumed the ACC team was going to blow it whenever they had a chance. We just assumed Wake Forest would probably lose yeah, to no. a coastal team. Yeah, not, not the least bit surprised, but uh, my guess for rushing yards will be 285. It was 343 rushing yards oh for North Carolina. <laughs> Sam See, Howell, I knew Sam Howell Chandler... won while only throwing 210 yards passing. Wow. I saw Ty Chandler had over 200 yards rushing, and I know Ty Chandler pretty well. He's, really, he's been really fun to watch this year so far. So I figured it was over 200 at least. But that must have been Sam Howell must have gotten like, what, 80, 90 yards rushing or something like that? Sam Howell finished with 104 rushing yards. And then the backup running back, DJ Jones, added another 19, along with 213 from the starter. (laughs) Ty Chandler, yeah. And by the way, you can also subtract another 30 or so yards from sacks. So they technically had more than that if you count forward progress yards because they subtracted a bunch of them from getting sacked. That, that is wild. Let me say something. Wake Forest might have the worst defense I've ever seen from a top 10 team ever. When was the last time Wake Forest has not given up 50 plus points? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say there's, there's a few there's a few Texas Tech teams from the mid 2000s that would like a word with you. But even still, I think you're probably right there. That defense is so bad, but they're just they score they're They've basically just brought the Big 12 to the ACC. And on a year where everyone in the ACC is ass, they just took over. Hey, credit to them. I'm, their, their season has been absolutely magical, and it's so cool to see out of everyone in football, Wake Forest as a top 10 team in well, anything not at anymore. all. That is just hilarious. Yeah, not, well, not anymore. Or at one point. Still, yeah. Um, I would also rank Wake Forest yeah. team. The thing we need to revisit also is the fact that you said on the podcast that uh, Coastal Carolina was going to have a shot if they go undefeated and then immediately lost the day that the podcast dropped that Coastal Carolina yeah. lost an upset to App State, I believe. So that was just wah, excellent. I literally messaged you like right after uh, that, that game ended. I was like, there's no way. Like literally the moment the podcast drops and that game finishes up, of course, Coastal Carolina loses. That is just the, the absolute epitome of a jinx. <laughs> and just to yep. see that happen, it was, it was hilarious. But that was a good game about Appalachian State. That, they're, they're like the Purdue of the group of five, right? Like they always just find like a pretty solid group of five school, just go in and just somehow beat them. Uh, that, that's always what I think. I always remember that Appalachian State-Michigan game several years ago where Michigan was one of the best teams in the country and Appalachian State goes to Michigan and beats them somehow. So 
I was thinking of Appalachian State, like another Purdue, basically, where they just come in to play spoiler all the time, and it somehow works out. Yeah, it, none of it makes sense there. Just Appalachian State, good on them. Um, Coastal Carolina drops, but then you guys, you guys had the path. And uh, yeah, for those who don't know, like the reason we didn't have a stripe hype early this week is because he was avoiding us. Because uh, not only did uh, his Kentucky Wildcats, who we were talking in the last podcast about their path to a New Year's Six bowl game, not only did they get curb stomped by Mississippi State, but also his Bengals lost to the Jets last week and he we just couldn't find him after that i'm just like it's fun while it lasted wasn't it? it was it was fun while you got to have the cincinnati slash northern kentucky teams on top of the world and then it all just came crashing down in one weekend and then cincinnati got ranked six in the college football playoff if it makes you feel any better i've avoided all podcasts this week <laughs> it's just been a, it's been a really bad week for me in general. Oh, and they traded your boy Tucker Barnhart too. They traded your your boy Tucker like 10-year catcher for the Reds, Tucker Barnhart yeah. got traded. And they lost Wade Miley to the Cubs. So I mean it it's been a terrible week. It is just it's been awful. Uh Kentucky plays Tennessee today. And if they lose that, let me just say it's gonna get 10 times worse. <laughs> but, but uh and then of course Cincinnati plays Cleveland uh, tomorrow as well so it, it, these games are a lot more important this week than what it was last week but still I I have no words of what happened last week in any of the sports it was just bad yeah. now we can move <laughs> really on bad. that's fine yeah we can we can move on yeah. from it uh by the way fun totally okay with that Fun stat also from that, because TCU is about to beat Baylor in like a rah-rah for Gary Patterson, because Gary Patterson parted ways with the school this week, because um, he's going to be done at the end of the season. This is the first time in both of our lifetimes that TCU is going to be searching for a new head coach. Fun fact. Yeah, they've been consistently solid for so long. Uh, to see them kind of like change, I guess, in, in a way, and just automatically I think like become a, I, I don't know, like they kind of, it's we've seen a steady decline in TCU football over the last several years, right? We had the Andy Dalton years, they were really good. And then it just slowly started to get worse and worse and worse. Now I think finally we're seeing a new TCU in which they're going to move on from their, you know, their, their, their front off or their coaches and everything like that. They're going to move on from the leaders of the team and almost reset in a way. And, and I like to see that because TCU has been a school that I have always kind of just like on the side rooted for because I love their uniforms. I just think their, their whole entire like, you know, logo and everything they have going for, but it's just really, really cool. Uh, that, that's just kind of, I kind of was as a kid just watching Andy Dalton play in college. I just love that for some reason, but um, to, to see them now kind of, uh, kind of, I would say, go into maybe even the lower echelon of Big 12 teams kind of sucked to see because this is a squad that for a long time was really good. So I think, for one, it's a very, very good move they're moving on uh, from Gary Patterson because they, they, they absolutely needed a reset, and now that they're finally getting one, they're going to have a new chance of probably trying to get new recruits somehow, maybe be able to find your next future uh, star quarterback. I think that's what they've been missing the last couple of years is a great quarterback. If they can get a guy like that to help lead this team, I think they can be a very big 12 team for the future. Because, of course, with the big 12 changing and everything here in the next couple of years, it's going to be wide open. And TCU could be a team that could really help rise in the ranks because of that. Yeah, they did have the one magical Trayvon Boykin season where I think they played in a New Year's Six Bowl game. But, yeah, they, they've kind of been just another team in the big 12, like you said. They're, them and, and Baylor and... 
uh, I don't know, like Oklahoma State and Kansas State. They're all just kind of like schools that aren't Texas and Oklahoma. So it's hard for them to recruit at the same levels as Texas and Oklahoma. But now you don't have to worry about Texas and Oklahoma because they are gone from your comp. I mean, you still have to worry about them because they're going to get the top recruits. But now your only like chief rivals are like Texas Tech. And that's at least more of a competition for TCU because they, they they do have a pretty good athletic budget. Like I'm sure they'll hire like one of the cheaper coaches. I, I don't think they're going to go out and splurge on a new head coach. I imagine it'll be a, a first time coach, maybe like a Jamie Chadwell comes over. I, I doubt they'll do the thing where they like spend $5 million to bring someone from the Pac-12 or the ACC over to TCU. But even still, it'll be a rebuild, a turnaround for TCU, and this is a good time to do it because Texas Tech just fired their coach. Texas is in a transition right now. Uh, Iowa State is pretty good. Baylor's pretty good. Oklahoma State's pretty good. Oklahoma's pretty good. So you you can kind of transition in there. You can quietly change things around for the team. It's going to be two years, but you know, anyone in the transfer portal era, anyone who fires their coach is going to have to like wait two years before they actually start turning things around. Cause now rightfully players can leave if a coach gets fired. And that wasn't always the case before. I think that's the big problem with firing coaches now and why teachers are so scared. Cause they know, like, you know, I, I think a big, a big reason why coach O was so hard for LSU to kind of part ways with is because they were like, if we get rid of coach O, we're losing all these recruits that we're getting as well. Because Coach O has been a great recruiter throughout his last couple of years. You know, he just obviously wasn't an X's and O's guy, and that was pretty obvious after a while. Uh, and I think the one worry was, like, once to get rid of Coach O, where's all these recruits going to go? You know, that, that kind of becomes, like, the, the scare for LSU. But at the end of the day, the move had to be made. This is the same case with TCU. No matter how good your recruiting can be, no matter how good you are right now with the players that you have, there has to be changes that's going to be made because you're not getting anywhere – you know, new at this point, you know, TCU was once a top 15, top 10 school, you know, pretty consistently the last, you know, back in the early 2000s, possibly. Um, And now you're, you're finally seeing this TCU team kind of, I guess, fall apart in the last several years. And, you know, outside of that one, I guess, great year by Boykin and, and, uh, and TCU in the new year six bowl, it really hasn't been anything special and you kind of need to find a new way to kind of create something. And I I think a good idea would start out with finding a new head coach for sure. So I like this move. I think it makes a lot of sense. And if they're able to find the right head coach, maybe they can start, like you said, it would be about at least two years probably before they can get back to being the way that they were before. But with the, you know, everyone in transitions right now, in the big 12, it does make a lot of sense that you would continue that trend and go to transition yourself. That's the part I was telling someone who I know who's a Longhorns fan where I'm like that they were pissed because they were four and four and like Longhorns fans are talking about getting rid of Steve Sarkeesian. I'm like, first of all, you guys have blown like three late leads. So you guys should be better than four and four. But two, like you had all of Tom Herman's players who presumably weren't very good because you fired Tom Herman, but then those players left. So you don't even have those players anymore. You have the, the last of the group. Uh, of some freshmen and then transfers and the last little bit of Tom John Robinson players. Yeah, exactly. You've got, you've got a few players who are holdovers from Tom Herman. So you have like what 70% of Tom Herman's players who apparently weren't good enough to keep him around and maybe some freshmen. So of course, when you fire any coach now in college football, you're going to be worse than the first year with that coach than you were the year before. Cause you just don't have the players. Hence why, Arizona, who didn't win a game all of last year, lost all of those shitty players. And now they're even worse than like FCS teams and are going to go 0-12 this year. Like, it's just you don't have any players because 
your coach can't recruit new players quick enough to fill the void of all the players going out in the transfer portal. So you're going to, when you fire coaches now, it's more going to be like a two year transition because it's going to take a while to recruit. I don't think the the coach that comes in and immediately turns thing around, things around really exists anymore. It's going to take like two to three recruiting classes for you to get your own players. Well, Mark Stoops is a great example because his first year coming to Kentucky, you know, he went two and 10. He was terrible because Kentucky was terrible. They had Joker Phillips that head coach. They obviously weren't winning anything. Mark Stoops comes in, has the same roster, ends up going two and 10. Next year, I believe he goes four and eight. Next year after that, six and six, six and six again, seven and five, and then bam, has an insane nine and three season. Or yeah, I believe it was nine or 10 and three season with Benny Snell, Josh Allen, and that crew. So, I mean, we saw a steady incline in Kentucky sports after that because the head coach was terrible, the players were bad. Mark Stoops slowly got his guys coming in. They slowly started to get better, and all of a sudden he had an insane roster. So you, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you have to give, give your college coaches at least two years, I would say three, before you really can judge them about how good of a recruiter they are. Uh, you know, if they're a terrible X's and O's coach, maybe I understand firing a little bit earlier, but you don't know how good a recruiter is until you see three years down the line if you guys are still able to get these top-end talents coming in, if those top-end talents are able to actually perform well in-game. I think it's a big key, and that's what really, you know, Kentucky gambled on Mark Stoops. A lot of people wanted him fired. He stayed a couple extra years. He got great rosters, and now look at him. He's one of the best coaches right now in college football. So I think it's a great example. I always go back to Kentucky because it's the easiest for me to, to go back to. That's just what I always think of. But I think he's a great example of this. And, and for a school like TCU, if you can get someone that is just in, in similar like that, someone that's cheaper, someone that you can just go out and find and get – um, you know, someone that wants to be there, I think you could hopefully find a way that you can revitalize this program because they, like you said, they have the money, they have the, um, you know, they, they have what they need to become another top 10 school. Again, they just need to find the right coaches and get the right players in, in, on the field. Yep. And uh, for the team that they're beating right now to the up for the magical upset, like shout out to Baylor that <laughs> with Losing Matt Rule, they brought in Dave Aranda. They were terrible last year, and in two years, all of a sudden, they're a top 25 team. So credit to them. Part of that is that the Big 12 kind of sucks this year, but credit to them for turning it around that quickly at, at Baylor because it's mostly his It's mostly his players and some Matt Rule holdovers, But and I guess they do transfer portal too because they bring players in, but shout out to them for two years basically turning themselves into a top 25 team, which is kind of hard to do. It's... Signs that maybe just maybe Baylor's going to have a magical year where they find themselves in the top 10, maybe next year, maybe the year after, but at least the signs are there that good things are going to happen for Baylor. Not, not to mention a lot of the players that were good on that Baylor team two years ago either went to the draft or transferred away. Like they, they have a, almost an entirely new roster here in Baylor. So even with a new head coach, it's not really like the same team at all. Uh, it's almost like a brand new team. And yeah, I agree for, for them to turn around and be able to come back and perform really well is really impressive and really hard to do in, in just two years time. And, you know, they might lose today, uh, although they just did, did just score a touchdown, according to what I'm seeing right now against TCU. So it's only a two point game now. Um, but uh, I think it's certainly possible that, uh, you know, Baylor's finally kind of finding their stride again. And maybe next year they could be a, a very, very quiet super team who could sneak into the top 10 pretty easily. Yeah, if Baylor doesn't lose this week, they'll lose next week. I think they play Oklahoma, so they they don't have to worry about that. They'll lose eventually. They'll finish, you know, 9 and 3 and go play in the Alamo Bowl or some shit like that. So, 
you, you still got a chance, Baylor. By the way, just to update people listening, you'll probably know this. Uh, Purdue is about to go up three scores with like five minutes left. And it's the greatest thing ever that the Purdue game is going to happen again. It's it, it's the one thing bringing me joy on this boring college football Saturday where Wake Forest loses and, you know, uh, Georgia whooped up. And, you know, the best game between ranked opponents is like Auburn and Texas A&M, like just the Purdue game taking down Michigan State is the greatest thing ever. It's so good. Also, Minnesota scoring zero points for like three and a half quarters also was fantastic. <laughs> but uh, it's just amazing that the Purdue so, game is going to happen. So, so what happened, uh, you know, according to what I've seen, uh, Michigan State had the ball at the goal line and then threw an interception. And I believe Purdue went down 93 yards and scored a field goal because, of course, they did, right? That's just yep. Purdue for you. And, <laughs> you know, now it's a 16 point game with six minutes left. I think that's pretty much good as done uh, now, unless Michigan State's able to somehow pull off a miracle with the lack of passing attack they currently have on the roster. But, I mean, yeah, w- what a game by Purdue. I mean, they're, they're currently six and three. And, and if you just look at Purdue's, you know, win loss record, like they literally beat Iowa. Um, 24-7, turn around, just get absolutely blown out by Wisconsin somehow, right? Like, <laughs> it, does, it makes absolutely no sense how this team is all of a sudden just beating top 25 teams with absolute ease and then turning around and losing to Wisconsin of, of all teams right now who are really bad this year. It's It makes no sense. But also, uh, you know, this this could be fun because if Purdue, if Purdue wins this game against Michigan State, you know who they have next week? Who do they State. have? Who? Ohio State next week. Purdue does? Yes. <laughs> no. No. Yes, You're kidding. No. Yep. Nope. No. Are we gonna get are we gonna get three top three wins this year? <laughs> that would be the you can't you can't write a script better than that for me. You're gonna have Purdue just obliterate the entire Big Ten. Just Big Ten's not gonna have a playoff team. Not gonna put Cincinnati in, but Big Ten's just not gonna have a playoff team because Purdue's just gonna eviscerate the entire conference. Just, just amazing. That's just unbelievable. I think, I think with Minnesota's loss, Purdue might have a chance of making the Big Ten championship too, so they can go like beat Michigan to complete the quadrifecta or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it would be poetic justice if just the committee's just like you know, okay, Michigan State loses, Ohio State's third ranked in the in the college football playoffs, and all of a sudden Purdue's like, no, no, they're not, they're gone back down. <laughs> Please, please. I don't ask for very much in this world, but if there are football gods or any sort of deity to worship, please make that happen. I know I'm asking for a lot. I asked for I asked for Iowa. I asked for Michigan State. Just I know I don't I don't ask for a lot. Just please, please let Purdue beat Ohio State next week. Just please let that happen. Just somehow let that magically happen. I mean, that, that would be the best thing ever. I mean, that would be I, – I know how much fun the coverage of that game would be if they actually somehow pull it off. This podcast. already is the best thing ever. The fact that they got one, one ridiculous 20-point upset is already gravy enough. The fact they've done it twice is unbelievable. You give me a third time, I'm just – I can't believe it. I'm just spoiled at that point. It's unbelievable. Let me just say, though, Ohio State looks beatable. They just had a really rough game this week against Nebraska. They almost lost that game. 
Uh, I think they blew it open a little bit um, more in the second quarter. Ended up winning the game 26-17. But, you know, that game was close for quite a while. Had it not been for that, uh, you know, that – I believe it was uh, um, the, the touchdown that uh, the Ohio State managed to score uh, – or sorry, it was the two field goals they scored at the beginning of the second quarter. It was one possession game throughout the entire game uh, pretty much. And, um, you know, Nebraska had a chance to score a couple of times and just couldn't convert at the end. So – uh, you know, it, it was a, it was a really good game though. Uh, and Nebraska's defense played really well this week. You know, CJ Stroud had a, had a pretty rough day, uh, overall. He threw for 405 yards, of course, but he also had two, two interceptions and there were a couple moments there where he wasn't really able to move the ball very well against Nebraska. Uh, you mentioned how ridiculous Purdue's schedule has been this year. And I raise you good, sir, Illinois, because Illinois has had the most ridiculous schedule I have seen in all of college football this year. So they have wins against Nebraska, number eight, Penn State, and number 20, Minnesota. Their other win on the season came against the University of Charlotte, who is one of the worst teams in college football. They only won that game by 10 points. Those are their entire wins on the season. They have losses to Utsa, University of Texas, San Antonio, meep, meep. They have losses to Virginia by 28. Maryland by three, Purdue by four, blanked by Wisconsin, again, after they beat number eight Penn State and number 20 Minnesota, shut out by Wisconsin, and lose by seven to Rutgers. Rutgers has one win in the Big Ten this season. It is against (laughs) Illinois. And again, this team beat number eight, number 20, and Nebraska this season. (laughs) And they lost to Rutgers, the worst team in the Big Ten, Purdue, Maryland, UTSA, and Virginia by 28. Because of course they did. That's just college football. Yeah. It makes complete sense. They have potentially three top 25 upsets this year. If you want to count Nebraska, it was the first game of the season. Potentially three top 25 upsets, and they're not going to be bowl eligible. (laughs) That is wild. And I mean, poor Indiana as well. Like, Indiana's schedule has been absolute monstrosity, right? Like, they, they started the year out, I believe, ranked, like, what, 17, 18, something like that. They, they get blown out by Iowa, get blown out by Cincinnati, get blown out by Penn State, get blown out by Michigan State, get blown out by Ohio State. And now they have Michigan and Minnesota the next couple of weeks. So they, they're having a tough time, too, except they're not able to get any upsets. And, like, somehow Illinois is just getting upsets and not managing to win any other games because – why not? It's the Big Ten, right? <laughs> so, yes. I don't and know. But... Not only, but not only is it the Big Ten, they've got two things working for them. It's the Big Ten West, but also it's Brent Bielema. Brent Bielema <laughs> is going to pull off upsets when you can't find him. He's going to go four and eight, but he's going to pull upsets out of his ass and ruin college football because he's Brent Bielema. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just, uh, it, it's just the. I hate that because every coach that makes those upsets is somehow keep a job every year, but they just, it's a continued cycle of four and eight with three top 25 upsets. Cause that's all it's yep. ever going to be. That's uh, Brett Bielema's entire Arkansas tenure is four and eight, but they would pull off an upset and lo- existing to lose by 38 to Alabama, but eventually they're going to beat Auburn or they're going to beat Texas A&M or they're going to beat yep. Kentucky. And we're all going to be confused how it happened. <laughs> Yeah, and right now they're beating Ole Miss. So, I mean, you know, of course, Arkansas has kind of turned a new leaf. But, yeah, 
I don't know. It's, it's, it is crazy. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's Illinois. So I'm not really surprised. Not really. Cause they, <laughs> that's just Illinois football. I get if, if you're an Illinois football fan, you're, you're aware that you're never going to be bowl eligible. You're just here to watch the Cinderella story games happen and somehow win every now and then you're not actually watching for a, a playoff, you know, appearance or anything like that. But for basketball, it's completely different. The basketball team is fantastic, of course. So, but do yeah. you know how <laughs> bad you have to be to exist in the Big Ten West, that chaos division of all chaos divisions, and never be good? Like, do you know you, how? It, it, it's not just them too. It's both Illinois teams. It's Northwestern and Illinois. It's both of the teams in that con or in that division from Illinois. They both are never good. No, I know Northwestern made the conference championship last year, but that Northwestern this year is bad and yeah. Northwestern usually is bad. And it's amazing that those teams are never good. Yeah, no, it is impressive, but uh, you know, I mean, it, the, the big 10 West is just full of like me. I don't really, I don't really know how to explain it because we're okay. The only thing we need to explain about the Big Ten West is it's it's very likely that Purdue's going to win this division, which is, says all you need to know about the Big Ten West, right? Is so that like in, true? In the East, I know, of course, you have the pin. I know it was Minnesota before. Minnesota controlled their own destiny, and then they lost to Illinois with PJ Fleck. Be like, let me smack you on the back of the head with this oar, and let's see if we score more points. <laughs> I think right now Minnesota is still in first, but I think if Purdue is to win out, I think that they might have a chance of making it all the way. Uh, Minnesota has Iowa and Wisconsin to play still this week, this year. So there's, there's a chance they lose one of those games. And as long as Purdue wins out, they will make it in. So, uh, or they actually, they have Ohio state next week, but if they can beat Ohio state then they will make it in probably. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's Minnesota, Wisconsin, Purdue and Iowa all fighting first for a spot and then it's just the bottom feeders of illinois you know northwestern and nebraska who are just always there oh good lord uh, nebraska obviously. i stopped paying attention to nebraska oh no they're worse than northwestern oh no nebraska they're they're, they're one in six in the conference right now uh, oh. i think three and seven total so it's oh, been a rough no. it's been a rough year for them oh gosh that's so bad oh i'm so sorry nebraska i didn't i knew it yeah. was bad i just didn't know it was that bad like you know, Indiana's below Rutgers right now in the East. Yeah, because Rutgers beat Illinois. <laughs> Rutgers' yeah. only win was beating Illinois. Rutgers yep. might make a bowl game this year. That's so stupid. Rutgers, Rutgers has put Rutgers has a total of sixty nine points scored in the conference this year in six games. <laughs> that is that is less than that is less than twelve points per game. That's that that's amazing. Terrible. That's amazing. I love that so much. They have 69 total points. On, that is the greatest thing ever. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. And, oh. and here they are somehow like still like four and five, just hanging around and can possibly make a bowl game. Like it is, that is insane. <laughs> Wisconsin beat them 52 to three <laughs> today. Wisconsin yeah. beat Rutgers 52 to three. And so, somehow so, it's, it's, Let's go over all the points they scored each week. They, they lost 20 to 13 to Michigan, which is a pretty all right game, I guess. They lost 52 to 13 to, to Ohio State. They lost 31 to 13 to Michigan State. They lost 21 to 7 to Rutgers. They finally beat someone, Illinois, of course, 20 to 14. And then they lose 52 to 3 to Wisconsin. So after that Illinois game, they, did, they have not had one game this year in the Big Ten where they scored over 13 points. 
I mean, good that is lord, impressive. Good lord, what was the one that was more was like seventeen, wasn't it? It's <laughs> twenty. No, the one 20? that was more is twenty. That it was twenty. Yeah. Okay, that that's unbelievable. That is so sad. It's so sad, Rutgers. And again, Rutgers is doing so well. Like we stopped making Rutgers jokes because now Arizona is like the worst team in the FBS, not Rutgers anymore. But God, Rutgers, you were so close. We thought you were going to turn this thing around, but no, you're still Rutgers. I thought Vanderbilt was worse. I thought South Carolina was worse. I thought Arizona was worse. Still Rutgers. Still just terrible Rutgers. It'll never change. <laughs> it feels like it. If not, if not Greg Schiano, I don't know who else they can get at this point. Who's, who's going to have much of a better chance unless they find their own PJ Fleck. Who's like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to motivate people with oars. That's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to have <laughs> the best recruiting class in the conference. Cause we're just going to smack each other with oars. And that's going to motivate people to come here. If they don't get that, I don't know what chance they have. All right, so a little bit of breaking news here, all right? Oh, also okay. drove the ball down to the Cincinnati 6 and only got four yards and turned it over on downs. Cincinnati had one play, and they fumbled the ball at their goal line. Tulsa has it on the Cincinnati two-yard line, down by eight with 50 seconds left to go. Okay, I need to find this. I, we, need to, we need to watch this immediately. Oh, my goodness, this is insane. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. This is great. Uh, Cincinnati, again, Cincinnati's not going to make it to the college football playoff this year, but I just want to believe, just want to believe that someone could pull the upset and ruin it for them. It is now third and goal for Tulsa. Uh, two rushes did not work out for them, but if they can get in the end zone and get it to a point conversion, it'll be, it'll be an overtime. Uh, that'll be insane. That'll be really fun to watch. Oh my gosh, that is absolutely amazing. Uh, I I can't believe this that <laughs> Tulsa <laughs> Tulsa has a chance to do it cuz Tulsa is not even like one of the good teams in that conference. Like it's it's not even No. They were like 22 and a half point underdogs for this game. Yeah, I I think they're like like middle of the pack right now. Like they're like Navy, you know, like Navy USF, like they're, they're in that tier team. Tulsa is three uh, and five. Tulsa is three and five on yeah. the season, <laughs> and they have a chance right now. All right, uh, fifty-one seconds, third and goal, handoff. Oh, quarterback keeped it. Touchdown. He got it. Did he get it? Yep. Touchdown. All right, two-point conversion. No, they marked him short. No, they marked him short. Oh, he was in easy, and his knee hit the ground. That's oh, he wasn't even hit either. He just like was avoiding a hit, and his knee hit the ground. He like dove for the goal line and accidentally had his knee hit the one yard line. That is perfect. Why? Oh, I see. He started his slide. I see. He was in, and then he started his slide early. Oh, that was so dumb. He would have scored. He just started his slide too early instead of diving <laughs> for the goal line. Oh, no. <sighs> Baylor has the ball uh, down two to TCU right now, and it's two minutes left in the fourth. Gosh, this is amazing. Also, Purdue's about to score another touchdown against Michigan State because, of, of course, they are. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course, that's how this one's going to go. Does Luke Fickle just stay in Cincinnati now? Because Cincinnati's technically going to the Big 12 at this point. So does he technically just stay until they make it to the Big 12? I think I think they should, honestly. I think it makes sense for Luke Fickle. Now, he will get 
a lot of money thrown at him by some big college that's going to fire their coach here in the future. Maybe a team like LSU is just here, like, hey, take all this money and try to see whatever if you want to come here. He may accept it, but if I'm Luke Fickle, you know, of course, you know, disrespect Cincinnati's probably getting to his head, I would assume. You know, now that you're moving to the Big 12, you have a chance to kind of rewrite history for Cincinnati sports. Uh, and, and, you know, I feel like Cincinnati, of course, with moving to the Big 12 is going to get a big budget upgrade. They're going to be able to pay Luke Fickle a lot more money it would make sense to me for him to just stay there and, and be able to continue with this program. Now, do I think that's the case? I have no clue. I don't know Luke Fickle. I don't know what his mind would say. I do think he can get more money if he goes elsewhere, but he can make, he can definitely get a pay raise here in Cincinnati, continue to be really, really good as a head coach and continue to pump out these NFL talents. And maybe all of a sudden you might have a chance to get even a better job opening maybe in the future. If, if, if a team like, I don't know, maybe uh, you know Clemson or someone like that comes calling somehow. Oh my gosh. Okay. So here's what happened on fourth down. So Tulsa did a, a, a draw an option, a read option on the carry. Uh, the running back was stopped in the pile. And as he tried to stretch out the ball, he fumbled and Cincinnati picked it up in the end zone. So I think it's going to be Cincinnati ball unless they rule. He crossed the plane with possession of the ball, which he might've, I'm watching the replay right now. Like there was a chance he might have crossed the plane, but it's like as he was reaching his arm forward, he lost the football because someone on Cincinnati like was just swatting at it. So maybe he crossed the plane with the ball. Maybe he didn't. I think it's probably going to be a fumble for Cincinnati, but who knows? This is this is very they are in replay review to decide the perfect season that probably won't matter because I'm guessing Cincinnati's going to drop in the rankings after this week. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Maybe uh, this is this has been a surprisingly close game, and they've, this is kind of like their—I I wouldn't say third one in a row. They, they beat Tulane pretty good, but Tulane kept it close first half as well. They—they've struggled these last three weeks against Navy, Tulane, and Tulsa, three of the bottom teams in the conference right now. They have South Florida next week, which should be a win. But after that, you look at you know SMU and then at East Carolina. Those are games that could possibly be upset potentials uh, in, in in the in the conference this year. So. I'm looking at those games for sure as being some of the most interesting games this year. And if, if one of them were to uh, pull up an upset somehow, that's going to be huge for uh, their program. But of course, detrimental to Cincinnati, who you know has to win out. They even have a chance of making it. Yeah, they might win out and still not get it. So while, while we're waiting for the call on the field, oh, wait, here we go. I think they're going to call it. Let's see. Uh, it is, yep, Cincinnati ball. Uh, game wow. over. Cincinnati wins. Yeah, I believe Purdue just scored against Michigan State up by 11. Now it's 41 seconds left. So that game is as good as done. Uh, Purdue will make it out and, and win this game somehow. <laughs> Let's go, Purdue game. Let's go, Purdue game. Oh, I'm so happy. I can't believe it happened again. It's so perfect. So perfect. Uh, before before we go out, do you want to get the the picks in for the NFL Sunday at this point? Of course, yes, yes. So let me get them. Yeah. So to update the standings real quick, I believe you're in first place now because you had a. Uh, I think the week before you were three zero and one or four zero and one or something like that. So you're now twenty two seventeen and one, and that puts you a half game in first place right now. So. Congratulations on your part. You are everyone's above 500, but you are now in first place in the pick and pool once again and in territory of trying to take down your 59% from last year, which is still the all time record. 
See, I, I had a pretty rough start uh, la- uh, this year, this time compared to last year, but I, I think I've gotten back in it. You know, after the, you know, it takes a while to like, you know, look, Laura to figure out what each NFL team is, I guess. And now that I've kind of got an idea, I feel like it's been a little bit easier for me to be able to predict these. Well, with that being said, Bills and Jaguars, Bills are 14 and a half point favorites. I'll take the, I'll, I'll take the Bills to cover here. I think this is going to be a pretty big blowout. Um, I, I watched Jacksonville play last week. They looked pretty okay. Uh, you know, I think this is a Jacksonville team that is improving and getting better, but I mean, it's, it's the Buffalo Bills right now. The Buffalo Bills are cruising and taking care of business each week. And uh, until they're, you know, not going to do that, I, I really don't want to bet against them at all. I think Buffalo has done a very, very good job this year at blowing out teams they're supposed to blow out. Right. And I think that they're going to do it again this week. They beat Miami last week, but I think it was like 26 to 11, I believe. Uh, you know, of course, and then, and then of course they, you know, they destroyed the Texans 40 to nothing a couple weeks ago, beat the Bills yet again, 35, nothing. Like they've handled business against teams that they're supposed to be. So I trust they can do against Jacksonville again, who is, you know, getting better slowly, but steadily, but at the same time, they lost last week by 24 to the Seahawks. So I don't think they're going to win this game. So give me the Bills. All right. Raiders and Giants. Raiders are three point favorites at New York. Yeah, and I think it's tough. I mean, we haven't talked since the Henry Ruggs news, but it is absolutely heartbreaking to see how, uh, you know, that happened, especially for the victim of the crash and the passing away. Like, that, that is terrible. I mean, Henry Ruggs deserves many years in prison for what he did, and I just hate to see the Raiders have to go through a time like that where, the, again, again, another problem kind of arises there with them, and they have to figure out everything. I know it's going to be hard for them mentally to go into New York and win this game, but – New York's another team that is just really struggling right now. Uh, and despite all the problems the Raiders are having, they are still finding a way to win games each week. I think this will be another Raiders win here, even though I think it could be a pretty close game. Uh, but I will take the Raiders a couple regardless. Uh, Texans and Dolphins. Dolphins are five and a half point favorites. And we know Tyrod Taylor is playing for the Texans. Yeah, uh, a, a little tough, but uh, it's going to be tough for Tyrod Taylor uh, coming back after that injury. Of course, he had a really good week. Week one against the Jaguars, they absolutely blew out Jacksonville. But since then, it has been very, very rough for them. They have, I, I would say, steadily declined, even though they had a pretty good week last week against uh, the Rams. But uh, I'm going to take the Dolphins to win this game and cover as well. I want to see Tua kind of bounce back and have a good week here. Uh, I, I think this is a Dolphins team that can take care of business, hopefully, uh, and be able to pull off this win. I want to see them get Jalen Waddle and some of these receivers involved on the outside. This is a very, very weak Texan secondary, so I think they can do it win. Yeah, we're going against each other on this one, which is uh, always fun when we have counter battles or whatever you want to call them. Uh, Vikings and Ravens. Ravens are six-point favorites at home. Baltimore uh, had an entire week to, I think, prepare for this game, so I'm probably going to take the Ravens to cover and win here. But I will say, I think the Vikings are going to keep this game really close. Um, so, oh, I'll... I'm actually going to take the Vikings to cover here. I think the Ravens still win this game, but you said they're six-point favorites, right? Yeah, right? six-point favorites. All right, I'll take the Vikings to cover, actually. I think the Vikings are a team that's good enough to be able to keep this game close, but I will say the Ravens, I think, do win this game. The Ravens have tended have tend to kind of keep these games close, uh, these particular games. You know, I had a really close game against the Colts a couple of weeks ago. Had a really close game against the Lions. Of course, had the Chiefs really close. Lost to the Raiders, no T. So they've had a couple of these games here where they they played really close. And of course, you know they they're coming off an absolute blowout to the Bengals. So it's still a question mark where the Ravens are at as a team right now. So I'll, I'll take the Vikings to 
to uh, to cover and uh, potentially win. I think the Ravens do win, though. All right. Uh, I was going to do Cardinals Niners, but that seems a little unfair because we don't know uh, who's playing in what it, who's playing in the game. So we'll avoid that from the Cardinals point. So let's say. How about the Packers and Chiefs game? So we know Rodgers is out. Uh, we know Devontae Adams is in. Uh, Chiefs are seven and a half point favorites at home. Yeah. Um, can Jordan Love pull off a miracle <laughs> somehow and, and manage this game? I, I really don't know. I think, I honestly, I was going to lean Chiefs to win this game, even if Rodgers was playing. It just felt like this is the time where the Chiefs can finally turn things around and win a big, big time game. So I'm going to pick the Chiefs to win and cover here. But I will say, I think they, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jordan Love and, and Green Bay somehow score four touchdowns in this game. I just think it's going to be really tough for, for this Green Bay Packers defense to help be able to keep up with, with Patrick Mahomes and this high-powered offense that Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I think I'm with you too. I've got that one on my docket as well to pick Kansas City. And part of that is because Vegas is taking heavy bets on uh, the Packers, which means that the house is in favor of Kansas City. So they think this could be a KC blowout for a game that we thought was going to be cool and is actually not that cool. By the way, TCU ended up winning that game against Baylor. I know we got distracted by that, by uh, Cincinnati, but TCU pulling off the upset, trying to get Gary Patterson bowl eligible one last time. Yeah, that would be huge. And I believe also Purdue just went final as well and was able to beat Michigan State. So uh, another big one. It's uh, been a pretty fun week of sports, I guess. You get, we're getting some upsets here. And I, I like that. Also, Tennessee is already up seven on Kentucky. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's yep. been a tough day. Tough you, day. you guys can do it. <laughs> Fight off, fight off third place in the SEC East. You guys can do it. You guys can still finish second in the SEC East. It's still possible. You just need to I beat believe. Tennessee. That's you, all we need. Please just get one more. That's you can still make the Outback Bowl. It's still in play. The Outback Bowl is still a possibility. <laughs> I will be will be happy. I will I will be satisfied if this team makes the Outback Bowl at this point. You can you can fight off Arkansas and make it to the Outback Bowl. I believe in you. Maybe. <laughs> maybe we'll see. Maybe it's Ole Miss, one of the two. Someone someone's going to play in the Cheese It Bowl, which maybe would be more fun if you guys got to play in the Cheese It Bowl, but someone's going to play in one of those games. Last time we got, I think 2 years ago we were in the Tax Slayer Bowl. Uh, I forgot which one we were in last year, but as long as it's better than that, that's all I can. One about. of them was the and Belk I Bowl. Be. I think I think you were in the Belk Bowl one time because that was the one where uh, your Lynn Bowden tried to fight the entire other team. Oh, I think that was okay. So so last year was Tax Slayer. The year before was the Belk, right? So as long as it's better than the Belk and the Tax Slayer Bowl, that's all I care about. I Hopefully think the Belk Bowl be is cool now because I th- I think the Belk Bowl is called the Duke's Mayo Bowl now. So that's more cool than the Belk Bowl. Duke's Mayo Bowl is better. So I think that game actually has more clout than it did before. I'm cool with that then, but you know, at the same time, uh, I, I, I want to, I, I want a big time bowl. It can be a new year six somehow. I doubt it's going to happen, but at this point, one can pray and I am praying since Kentucky somehow makes it, but you can get the next best thing, which is the Outback bowl. It's played at the exact same time as a new year six game, except it's just played on ESPN two instead of on ABC. So that's the next best thing is playing the Outback bowl. Cause you get to play on new year's day. Before we depart, just right off the the bat here, I wanted to give the rest of the picks for the week. So 
Here are just real quick right off the bat. So you heard Stripe Hypes there. He's got the Vikings, Chiefs, Raiders, Dolphins, Bills. I sitting at 20 and 20 and still keeping up the streak of 2 and 3, 3 and 2, 3 and 2, 2 and 3, 2 and 3, 3 and 2, 2 and 3, 3 and 2, 8 weeks through the season. Have the Cowboys, the Bengals, the Chiefs. These are against the spread, by the way. Eagles plus two, Patriots minus three, Chiefs are minus seven and a half, Bengals are plus two, and the Cowboys are minus ten against the Broncos. Walter Mitchell has the Broncos, the Chargers at minus two, so we're going against each other twice. The Saints minus six against the Falcons, Titans plus seven against the Rams, Steelers have the uh, Bears, He ha- and he will pick them minus, seven, or minus six in that game. Uh, waiting for DSD's picks at the time of recording, so we will get those out to you later. Uh, we mentioned Stripe Hypes in first, 22-17-1, DSD 21-17-2, Walter 21-19, and, and myself, unfortunately, thanks to the Rams, blowing the giant lead against the Texans, 20-20. and 20. Enjoy your football Sunday, everybody.